0: We started our first, um, in our new sermon series, of The Gospel of Mark. Um, If you um, would like one of these, we have a freebie for you, which is The Gospel of Mark. But also, very excitingly, next to each page is a space to write notes. So can I encourage you, each week, over the next, or up until Easter now... Um, to bring this in with you, so you can follow on with what you were, um, what the Lord was uh, uh, teaching you the following uh, the week before. That you can be praying through it during the week. Um, I think it's a really useful tool for us to have. So feel free if you want one of these. If you've not got one, I'm in fact, we've got a few there. If we need to get some more. We'll get some more for next week. But do do feel free to to grab some, please. Feel free to write in them. That's the whole point of them. Underline. Just some over there. Just for these guys. There we go. Help yourself. Well, are we convinced that Christ is the answer, not only to salvation? That's the most important thing, isn't it? But also to freedom in this life. Are we convinced of that? Because I believe that if we don't have this conviction, it is going to deeply impact how we go to people, especially those that are struggling. We all go through difficulties and hardship, don't we? We all know people that are going through that at the moment. What hope in the here and now... Can we offer people? The great hope of salvation is the hope in the here and now, but there's also the, how do we deal with people's physical problems at the moment? The things they're struggling with. Sometimes maybe our lack of conviction can can maybe slow us from going to people and make us quick to offer practical help, which is always helpful. But there is hope in the here and now that Jesus offers to everybody. And we see that in this passage. It's exciting that we see that in this passage. So I'm going to read for us from Mark, um, chapter 1, verses 16 to 39. I encourage you to follow. It's in the books we just handed out and also on page 1002 in the Church Bibles. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When they had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching with new authority. He, gives, um, he even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly across the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left and she began to wait on him. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. And very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Well, there's so much going on in this passage. But what we see to start with is we see the calling of the first disciples, don't we? A beautiful scene of Jesus tells them to follow me. Follow me, he says to them. And this is not so much a movement of the feet necessarily, but this is a movement of the heart, a movement of their heart, to say, I'm going to carry out this way of life that Jesus is going to teach me. That's the same call that we've had the way of life to follow Jesus, to be his disciple. And, and I think another word that we can use for disciple is apprentice. We are all Jesus' apprenticeship, apprentices when we come to know him. And what does an apprentice do? Well, an apprentice is to be like their master. An apprentice is to become like their master. And an apprentice is to do what their master did. And this was going to be costly for Simon. For Andrew, for James and John, what did they do? They had to leave everything. Well, they chose to leave everything, and they followed Jesus. They left their fishing business. They left their family. But they were willing to do it. But to do what? What was their purpose? Well, they were to be fishers of men, or fish for people. We have to Be careful this is not just a play on words because there were fishermen um, and there was to be fishes of men, it is a play on words, but it's also more than that. If you look in Jeremiah sixteen, it's on the screen now for you. He says, But now I will send for many fishermen, declares the Lord, and they will catch them. And after that I will send for many hunters, and they will hunt them down on every mountain and hill and from the crevices of the rocks. I will repay them double for their wickedness and their sin, because they have defiled my lands and the lifeless forms of the vile images. And fill my inheritance with their detestable idols. You see, there was to be fishes of men, fishes that were going to be fishes of men that were going to be giving warning of the coming judgment. That's our role as fishes, as men, too. We ought to be heralders of the good news of Jesus Christ, but give warning of the coming judgment. And they're about to embark on a three year intense apprenticeship. Not a hobby, not just something to do on a Sunday after a Sunday morning. But this was going to be their whole life. And I think that we learned some incredibly valuable lessons from this passage that we see today. That Jesus immediately teaches them what it means to be his disciples. To be his apprentices. It means living a new way of life. With a new focus. With a hope to offer to people. So what did they learn? Well, we're going to see four things today. I just want to focus on these four things. As followers of Jesus, you are to move towards the needy. And let them come to you. As followers of Jesus, you are to move towards the needy and let them come to you. We see Jesus goes and teaches in the synagogue, the Jewish place of worship, a a bit like a community centre as well. Three times a day they would hear from the word being, being spoken. And this was in Capernaum, north of part of the Sea of Galilee. And what does he do? He's teaching and then a man with an unclean spirit comes forth. Jesus heals this man. At Simon and Andrew's house, he goes and heals Simon's mother-in-law. And then the whole town bring people to see him to be healed. A crowd of 1,500 people in that town at that time. What had happened? Jesus had opened up a can of worms. He didn't move away from them. Instead, he healed every single one of them. Because he's fulfilling the prophecy. From Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the broken hearts, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. <coughs> Jesus comes to bring salvation to all, but he also comes and brings compassion to all in this life, no matter who you are, no matter what situation you're going through. He shows compassion to all. And the whole town comes to him. What he's done is he's scratched at the surface. From healing two people, he scratches at the surface. And then the whole town and their needs become apparent. And they come to him. Now in our culture, an unclean spirit is maybe something that we are not accustomed to speaking about massively. Or even massively seeing. It does happen. But it's it's particularly in other cultures. It's rife where we see exorcisms happening regularly. It's part of their culture and part of their life. Maybe we struggle to draw similarities with that. It does happen in our culture, but we're not so aware of it. But illness and disease, depression, all those things are things that we are able, um, that we understand and that we see. But in our Western culture, we also don't like talking about things. Our culture is one of a stiff upper lip, put on a show and show that everything's fine, I can sort it. We're masters at keeping a veneer, showing that everything's fine, but when inside there's inner turmoil. I remember a few weeks ago I shared with you that I went on a university reunion with some guys from 20 years ago, and it was great to see them and wonderful to see them, but over 20 years of living in different places in different countries, you don't really get to hear what's going on in people's lives. And then after a, a half a day or a day or so with them, Begin to realize that things that look so great on Facebook and Instagram, there's much more going on. There's pain, there's broken marriages. One guy had just, he shared, had not shared with anyone that he'd actually tried to kill himself three months before. You see, when you just are willing to scratch away at the surface, so much comes out. Also, we think about the cafe downstairs, we hear the hustle and bustle when we're here every day. People's voices, it seems um, everyone's fine and happy. And then when you go and speak to people, you get to know people. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of pain. There's illness. There's loved ones that they've lost. On the surface, things look fine, but scratch away at it. And there's an absolute abundance of hurt going on. Are we willing to move towards the needy and scratch away at the surface? As followers of Jesus, that's what we are to do. We are to to go towards and move towards people in their pain and find out what's going on. I just want to pause for a moment, and maybe in your book, who might be the needy people or the needy person that Jesus is leading you to? Who might he be leading you to? Or who's the person you might be holding off that you know is needy and we're not sure we want to scratch away at the surface and deal with what's going on in their lives? Just pause for a moment. There will be somebody the Lord does call us to people. Who may that be at the moment for you? I just think of um, a couple that come into church at the moment. Oh, sorry, come into the cafe at the moment. Who've been coming in regularly for months now. Sadly, their daughter has passed away um, recently. What? hope do we have to go and bring people in that discomfort and in that pain? How do we move towards them in a way that isn't just offering practical help and some nice words? God does care for their situation. He cares for your situation. He cares for everybody in the cafes and everyone in this world's situation. But how do we confidently move forward to them? Well, maybe we are thinking... But why didn't God save their daughter? What can I share with them? What hope can I give them? Well, as followers of Jesus, we move towards the needy. We let them come to us with his amazingly authoritative teaching and powerful acts. We see that his teaching was amazing. Absolutely amazing teaching. That people that were going, the Jews that were going to the synagogue, were used to listening to the scribes, these faint, with these respected, well-read, well-learned readers, especially of the the tour of the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. They would teach there three times a day. And Jesus taught something different. He came, he preached from the word, from the scriptures, as if they'd, they'd never heard them before in a new and fresh way. It wasn't what the scribes were teaching. It says in verse twenty two, this was not as the scribes, it was the opposite. Scribes were probably teaching legalism, some hypocrisy and pride, but Jesus teaches grace, mercy, and servanthood. You can imagine him sharing things like, guys, God loves you. The Father loves you. He wants to save you from your sin. The law is not about not killing people or not stealing people, it's so much more than that. If you've thought that in your head, then you've broken the law. You're in need of a saviour. New teaching that would have been mind-blowing to them, alarming to them. And you think this is the teaching that we go to people today. They may not have the same background of knowing the scriptures or anything like that, but, but we get to go to people and say, do you know what life's about? Did you know it's not about you? Do you know that God's made the first move in making a way back for you into a relationship with him? Do you know he loves you so much that his son suffered and died for you? Do you know that God does heal and he can heal? But all healing in this life is temporary because death is going to come at some point. Healing on earth is imperfect. But for those that believe in Jesus, there is a great hope. There is going to be a day where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. There is an amazing teaching that we have to offer people. And we can do it with authority. Jesus did it with a new authority. An authority, as Kenny was saying, that was, that was um, not from man, but from the Father. I remember um, when I was teaching a few years ago, a new guy started at school. and He took over the, uh, the teaching and learning department. His name was Mike. He wasn't the most charismatic person in the world, but I remember he came in at the first staff meeting. He said, everybody, I want everybody to teach like this. I want you to teach with just 10 questions in every lesson. The kids have to know the answer to those 10 questions at the end of every lesson. All you have to do is give them the information and then they regurgitate it back to you. And I was like, what? You're having a joke. And he said it to all the staff. And everyone was laughing, thinking this is ridiculous. Anyway, no joke, he'd do this thing where you had to ask the answer from a student. They'd have to give the answer word for word. And if they got one word wrong, it went to another student who then got it right. Then it'd have to go back to the student who got it wrong, and they'd have to say it again. And that was a lesson. I was very sceptical. Anyway, after six months, he'd taken over an English group in year 11 that was failing miserably, literally five levels below where they should be because they never... Did anything in their lessons with their old teacher? After six months, they sat their exam. Every single one of them passed with flying killers. When he stood up at the next training session that following year, do you think people listened to him? Whether you agree with that, I, saw, I know you might be a bit iffy on that. I, me too. But it worked. He had an authority, he commanded respect. And submission to his means and his ways. And his teachers were obedient to him then. They saw that that was the way that we should teach. Jesus taught with authority. A new authority they'd not heard before. An authority that comes from heaven. An authority that is worth us listening to and hearing and obeying. We get to go with authority. I forget, and forget... I think this is amazing. You just think that this is the written word of God being taught by the living word of God. Can you imagine being present at that point? How amazing would that be? And we get to have the living word of God each and every single day that we read. Isn't that amazing? We have the living word of God. And this living word of God, I mean, I could quote the whole Bible, but... There is comfort in there, there is healing in there, there is victory over sin, there is hope, and we need to trust, and Kenny said this, and I've got this down as well, and I think it's been said three times already in this gathering, but his word will always accomplish what it sets out to do, and it doesn't come back void. When we go to people in need, and we speak words of truth from scripture, it will cause a reaction, it will have an impact in some way like it did with a man with an impure spirit. It reacted, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And we pray that would be the reaction of those that we go to. But I think also what's really important is the greatest impact of moving towards the someone with the Word of God, with authority, is that it has authority in our own lives. And we truly believe it. Does the Word of God have ultimate authority in your life? Because for me, when I've seen Christians suffer, or when I've seen them comfort people, when it's someone that you know is in the word each and every single day, when it's someone that lives it out through their suffering and through their pain, you see them trusting in the word of God, it strengthens my resolve when I see that. I think, man, this is true. It's good. It gives us hope to go to people and think, man, I have something to offer you in whatever situation you're going through. Let the word have authority over you, first and foremost. And as we go to others, we pray they would have authority over them and they would see this amazing teaching and hear it, knowing that the Lord is powerful. Jesus' words are powerful. He is powerful. He heals a man with the unclean spirit, He heals Simon's mother in law. He has power over illness. He has power over the demons. But then the question today is, why hasn't God healed my friend? We know he can heal. We see it in the Bible. We know that he does heal. We've seen it in people's lives that he can heal. But not everybody is. And it's that stage we maybe lack the confidence of thinking, do I go to this person in their trouble? Do I not? Do I offer practical help or do I offer words from scripture? I've been really encouraged in spending some time with Sue, um, who's part of the church, over the last six months. And I get to meet with her every couple of weeks. And she talks about um, the healing of the streets ministry that she's part of. And now whether, we, whether you agree that um, individual gifts of uh, healing are still there or not, is not, not what I'm kind of looking at here. But the premise of her, her t- belief that God heals and God will heal, not everybody... But she goes there with confidence. And for those that he doesn't heal, that she doesn't see healed, she doesn't demand it, she doesn't promise it, but she still offers truth from the Bible from the word of God and offers them hope and courage and comfort. How do we move towards people like Enid, who's lost her daughter at the, uh, that we know from the cafe? Well, Enid, I know that God didn't heal your daughter But it's not because he's not powerful enough to. I know he has the power to do it. We see it in scripture. We do see it in life that he does heal people. But healing in this life is imperfect. Because one day everybody will pass away. But I do know this. I know God loves you. I know he loves your daughter. I know it breaks his heart. I know it breaks his heart that she died. And he mourns. He mourns with you. He's angry at death than you are. He's angry at this broken world that sin is in here. But this is not how it's meant to be or how it will be. There is hope. There is hope. Jesus becomes your Lord and Saviour. You'll feel the comfort. You'll feel comfort in pain, comfort in your grief. And you will get through. He knows better than anyone what it's like. And he cares for you. And he wants you to come to him as you are, in your anger and in your pain. And he will offer you freedom. So I want to encourage us. This week, how can you be faithfully praying or moving towards the person that you've said from the last point (laughs) is calling you to move towards? How can you be faithfully praying for them? What is their needs? Is it healing? Is it um, some form of um, yeah, healing from an illness or is it um, a broken relationship? Whatever it may be, how can you be faithfully praying to a God that delights in answering our prayers? How can you be doing that faithfully for them? What words of scripture can you have on your heart to go towards them with? Sometimes it's not going straight in there with scripture when someone's bereaved or anything like that. But there is something about knowing and praying for somebody, and having those words on your heart, and then at, timely, at a timely point, going towards them and saying them. Because it is powerful. It is authoritative. And it is astonishing and amazing. Well, thirdly, um, as followers of Jesus, we move towards the needy, and we let them come to us with the amazingly authoritative teaching of Jesus and his powerful acts, and we do so with self giving acts of service. I love this that what do we learn from Jesus' example here? What's he teaching his followers? Well, he's teaching them. He let everyone come to him. He let everybody come to him in verse 32 and verse 33. He healed everybody. He didn't turn anybody away. He didn't say, It's nine to five, guys, it's five o'clock. Right, I'm clocking out. Sorry guys, can't help you. I don't know if you've ever seen The Chosen. I know it's not the Bible, but a, I think it's a good um, depiction of Jesus. And the episode where Jesus heals, and he's um, healing people that are in the queue a mile long. And the disciples are going to him every two hours, take it in turns to do two hours each, because they're getting tired. And they're saying, you need to stop now, you need to stop now. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to keep going. And he keeps going until every single person is healed. And then at the end, you see Jesus come back and they're all eating their dinner, chatting about the day, and he just walks past, absolutely um, done, completely exhausted, and collapses into his tent and sleeps. Now, I know that is not necessarily exactly what happened, but we see a picture of um, just how Jesus wouldn't clock off. Yes, he needed rest, but look in verse 35. His rest came, getting up early and praying and going to to his father and praying. How do we give more to people? How do we go to the needy? How do we let them come to us? We rest in the Lord and we pray more first. Simple. As simple as that. But you see, Jesus saw these healings as victories and examples of the kingdom breaking in. So guys, when, when, we going forward, when we go forward to someone and give them comfort from God's word, when we experience that comfort, when we see victories over sin in our life and in other people's lives, when we, when we move towards a needy person, offer them faithful prayer, and we pray for them each and every single day, when we, when we share a scripture that speaks into their struggles, these are all examples of the dominion of God breaking in. Those little things. And maybe we need to be better at remembering them. Maybe we need to be better at logging them and seeing, Lord, you are at work. So are there victories that are examples of God's kingdom breaking in that we can encourage each other in? So write that question down, and then um, at the end of our time together, maybe spend some time in in encouraging one another. Or your gospel community groups this week over dinner. What better thing to talk about than encouragements where we're seeing God at work? His kingdom breaking in in your life, in other people's lives? And then finally... We move towards needy people. We move towards the needy. And let them come to us with the amazingly authoritative teaching and powerful acts of Jesus, with acts of self giving service that point to the ultimate goal. We want to point to the ultimate goal, don't we? The ultimate goal we see in verses 35 to 39, where the disciples are looking for Jesus and they say, Everybody's looking for you. Where have you been? Why didn't they ask that? Why do you think people were wondering where Jesus was? Because they wanted healing. More people wanted healing. Often people don't want Jesus. Often people want the physical blessing of now, the here and now, the immediate healing. Does that mean we don't go to them? Does that mean we stop praying for them? No, not at all. But our hope is that they will see who Jesus is through us being willing to go to them, through us showing that God is a God of comfort, a God of great healing we pray that they would see who Jesus is. What does Jesus say in verse 38? He corrects the disciples, really, basically saying, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also, because that is why I've come. That's why I've come. To preach the message of repentance and faith. Guys, well, if we are willing to go to the needy and let them come to us, as we go to them with the amazing authoritative word of God and his powerful acts and his wondrous things that he's done um, and the wonderful things that he's done in our life and we share that with people and the hope that they have that he can do this in their life too. Maybe, just maybe, they're going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, repent and believe. We pray that for them. Just to finish with very quickly. It's interesting, isn't it? The demons recognise who Jesus is. What do you want with us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are the Holy One of God, he says in verse 24. But Jesus doesn't go, yes, at last, someone who knows me and recognises who I am. Go and tell everybody. He says, don't say a word. Don't go tell anybody. Does Jesus want people to know him or not? Well, the answer is yes and no. He, he, he didn't come into this world for people just to discover who he is, but to rescue men and women and bring them into heaven. You see, it's possible for us to know Jesus, just like the demons, just like the man with an unclean spirit. They know Jesus. Didn't make, them any, uh, didn't make him a clean spirit, didn't make them any less demonised. Jesus doesn't just want you to know him or have knowledge of him. But he wants you to come to him voluntarily and bow your knee and recognise that he's King and Saviour. And so if that's you today, if you know Jesus and you hear it here each and every single week preached, you know of him, But do you really know him? There's not a day in your life that you haven't come to know him. Please come and speak to myself, speak to Kenny. We would love to pray with you. Let's pray. Father God, I want to praise you and thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are a God that does heal. Thank you you are a God that does care. Thank you you are a God that does give great comfort. We pray that you would help us as your followers move towards people of great need. That we would let them come to us. That we would extend that openness. That we would move towards them with great hope. With a hope that you can help in their here and now. And for ever eternity. Lord, we pray that you would give um, just one person on our hearts that we can really move towards this week. That you'd give us words of scripture for them, to help them in their pain and in their suffering and in their discomfort. We do pray for anyone that is struggling with um, illnesses here. Lord, we do know that you can heal. And we ask, Lord, if that's your will, that you would. Lord, we pray that we would persevere we would encourage one another with the truth of your amazing authoritative word. Lord, comfort us, comfort those who are sad and in pain and in grief at the moment. Let them really tangibly feel what that means and know what that means. Let them find solace in your word. Let them cry out to you and let, let them be met with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just going to finish...